we are thrilled you are here with us. 100 Creatives represents a collective of individuals across creative and educational sectors that seek to learn from one another and share insights, ideas, and start conversation. We gather together at our virtual roundtable to explore the intersection of creativity and how it relates to our individual selves and also to community impact. I am your host, Angela Popplewell, and I am the CEO of 100 Cameras, a nonprofit organization that equips youth worldwide with tools to process and tell their stories through photography. Each podcast episode hosts a group of voices from members of our 100 Cameras Board of Creatives to program educators to youth participants from programs all across the world, even to special guest appearances from our brand partners and friends who share in the commitment that creativity and self-expression should be available to all. Andrea Arevalo is a photographer, filmmaker, and art director and works with clients such as UN Women, United Nations, True & Co, and 100 Cameras to name a few, and her work has been seen in the Washington Post and Photovogue Italia. Urban Cole is a photographer and also is on her way to becoming a doctor of medicine. She was selected as an independent photographer for NASA and works with clients such as Apple, Chanel, Google, Prada, among others. Tierra Bradley is a designer, art director, and photographer specializing in film, advertising, fashion, and social media content, and works with clients such as Netflix, Google, Sweetgreen, and McDonald's, among others. Okay, how's everyone doing? Good. Doing okay. What's going on? Huh? Oh, you know what? That's interesting. I read the okay as, you know, this is good. So did I. The okay is like... Like a very just honest response. I, well, to... I feel like every day for me is just okay. <laughs> like pandemic and everything is just okay. Some good, some bad. It evens out. Average it's up to an okay. That's fair. Yeah. It's beyond fair and it's refreshing to just start with that. Why don't I why don't I do that more? This is a part rhetorical question for my self but yeah that's yeah, really- I think we're conditioned to put on a brave face and say that everything is great even if it's not yeah so you know how people say oh I'm fine everything is good so I don't want to lie but I'm giving an honest answer <laughs> so I, like you said so I go with okay as being like the best response to summarize everything I do feel like during this COVID year people have been more open and haven't always just been saying, oh, everything's great. They might even say, oh, I'm struggling with my mental health, which I think before was not something that you might tell someone openly like that. So I think those kind of conversations are great. Even the op-ed, was it Meghan Markle? We should start asking, are you okay? Instead of how are you? I hope I I'm didn't so- read that to be truthful, but I'm sure everyone has their own journey with that and how they relate to that or maybe don't relate to that. But there is something like the underlying theme of just even how we posture the question is very interesting. It's fascinating. This is something that transcends all industries. I think if I were to imagine what a creative industry would look like, I would think that more like we'd have been ahead of the curve here. You know what I mean? Of just like, how are you feeling? What's going on? But it is a condition, as you said, Andrea, to just, how are you? Great. How are you? Great. And let's move on in this just like formulated exchange. Totally. Yeah. I'm going to start every meeting now with how are you feeling? And we'll see how that goes. I believe in it. I do love feelings. Okay. All right. So three dream creatives here. I'm so excited to dive into how did you get here? And what did that look like? 
even just hearing each of your individual stories to start off with, they're each unique and just seeing what you've been able to create now. I wonder if you were to go back to yourself when you first started leaning into your creativity and tell yourself something, whether it's a tip or a trick or just an assurance or avoid this at all cost. I really want this episode to be about that just for our friends on the other side of the speaker, just if they're starting to think about this or they're reflecting on their own creative journey, like what are, what did that look like for you? What would you do similarly or different? I know in an earlier episode, we got to go into um, some detail about how you leaned into creativity, how you first discovered it within yourself, what that jump looked like. And I definitely want to recap that here to start us off. But since Koi's joining us today, Koi, I'm going to start with you, if that's okay. When and how did you discover you were a creative? Yeah, so my passion for photography was born when I was four years old. And I was playing with my parents' old Ricoh and Konica cameras. I became mesmerized by the mechanization of the camera and curiously dissected it, literally unmasking its anatomy through tools like screwdrivers. I discovered how... You had, I'm so sorry, Koi. You found a screwdriver as a four-year-old? You, this is fascinating. I'm thinking yes. of my own four-year-old. So my father is an engineer, so he has a toolbox and... As a child, you'd always watch your father fixing things, right? So I just went into his toolbox on my own. Yes, I decided to open up the camera. I discovered Did they how... know you were dissecting? No, not at all. The camera? But... No, not at all. <laughs> I mean, they were old cameras and really old film cameras. Now my parents were not really using them anymore. They were just sitting there like an artifact, like an antique. So... Yeah, I discovered how light traveled through lenses, reflected off mirrors, and exposed part of the light-sensitive emulsion. So I learned the elements of photography, like aperture and shutter speed, and what they called back in the day as ISO, ASA. So back in the day, it was called ASA, through the most classic way. So yeah, I myself taught photography, and it was 2012 when my hobby or avocation really transformed into career wow that is and you were four yeah that's amazing it's incredible so film thinking back into the day of film this is a whole conversation we could go down that would be really fun but what did that look like as a child did you just document literally life as you saw it did you think in the form of themes or anything like that and then did you develop the whole thing where i come from you like took your film canister to walmart and developed it and it was so exciting to get it back three days later. Was that your whole process? Yeah. So what happened was I was going to sleep away camp. I always tell this story and I just wanted to document the food we ate, my friends and the whole experience of living in a cabin. And I just wanted to document everything, creative struggle between living in the moment versus trying to document and save every single second and memory that you experience. So when I was a child, I was so in awe of everything. I just wanted to document every single second. So it started out with food, the marshmallows and chocolate and the friends around me. So it was magical when you developed the film because it's a surprise, right? You don't know really what you're going to get 
100% of the time. Going back and looking through all of the tangible photographs after living in the moment and reliving those experiences, it's, it's really magical and nostalgic and sentimental. And it's your reflecting and your experiences after having gone through it. That's just the perfect precursor to the 100 Cameras program for Youth Worldwide, Koi. Oh, goodness. Okay, first of all, I have to say this is so true to your nickname, Dr. Koi. The fact that you brought out the screwdriver. Um, for everyone internally in 100 Cameras Board of Creatives, Koi is known as Dr. Koi. It's a real name. We believe it. I would totally call her in a healthcare crisis. Not yet, but in progress. <laughs> Long journey. journey. <laughs> I want to get into the big career moment in 2012. But first, I want to bring everyone up to speed with Tiara was originally computer science focus. Andrea was, I don't want to say you wanted to become a lawyer. It was Impression upon my mom wanted me to become a lawyer before you found creativity. So, yeah, I'd love if both of you could give your recap of your journey there and how you discovered your own creativity leading up to that point of the pivot. Yeah. So I think for me during college, I remember taking an intro to web design class in my freshman year. And so for the duration of the class, like we had to build a website and my brother's into music and stuff. And so I actually took on his portfolio and built him a portfolio website. So people would see his site and be like, yo, who did your site? This looks good. And so he would refer people to me. And I'm like, I don't know how to do that. I did that for class through the textbook. Don't refer people to me. This is when like Tumblr and stuff was popping. So I like redesigned somebody's Tumblr and I'm like, going through my textbook, trying to figure out how to add this stuff and coding. And somehow I pulled it off and they were pleased with it. And then they referred me to somebody and I worked on the blog for them. Before you know it, I'm like doing websites on the side. Right. And so during that, clients were like sending me pixelated logos and just ugly pictures and stuff. And I'm like, I can build the nicest like wireframe, but if the content sucks, like I'm not putting my name on this. So then like I started pitching, oh, let me do your logo over. Let's get stock images, right? So now I'm like building the aesthetics of the site. And so that's how I kind of got into graphic design. And then somewhere in the middle of that, I started a clothing line with one of my girlfriends, Ashley, in college and getting into screen printing and all this other stuff, right? This rolling, this one thing leading to the other. And so the line started doing really well. And this is like that first year that Instagram came out. So that's like 2012. And she had created an Instagram account for us. I had no idea what Instagram was. And so she showed me one day and we had a thousand followers. And back then it's, whoa, so... I had no idea. So what is this? What are they following? Who are these people? You know what I mean? I'm like, uh, like this whole grandma. What is this? She's like explaining like, oh, you just post pictures and like people like them or the comment. And I'm like, oh, OK. So then I'm like getting into like lookbooks and oh, we need to do more photo shoots of the line and stuff. And we were all funding this ourselves. So we would like hire friends or people we knew who were photographers to do, you know, photo shoots for us. But then it was like, Instagram, you got to keep up. So I was like, all right, we can't be paying for this like every week or every month. So right, then I'm like, right. during that, I'm like setting up our photo shoots and like the location and kind of the themes and all that, the models. And then I'm like, all right, well, I'm setting this stuff up as far as art director. Like, 
maybe I can take a stab and shoot them. And I just got my phone out and started photographing stuff on my phone. And then in the course of that, I started my Brilliant Dummy Instagram page and was just posting photos going out with my nieces and nephews or friends. And that took off beyond what I was planning. And now I'm a photographer and I ended up leaning into that full time. And so that's how my story, one thing just led to the other until it's just like, oh, I like this art stuff more than the computer science math stuff. So I think for me, I could say three stories right now. I'm not sure which to start with. But I think in terms of my family, for example, my dad is from Venezuela and my mom was the first person to be born in the United States from her family. Her family's Cuban. So I think as a first slash second generation American, which is what I call myself, my mom and my dad just always wanted me to do something that was going to make money. <laughs> that was going to be stable. Right. And I think that's something that so many people can relate to, whether or not you have the immigrant experience. I think that was foremost. And because of that, I think I always was having this internal conversation with myself about, okay, maybe do try to find something more stable. Because I think if I could go back and tell myself something, one of the things would be that you can make money doing creative things. And even when you do, always make sure to save time for yourself to do things for your own self (laughs) that you might not get paid for. I think those are two pieces of advice that I would have told myself. But moving on to a little bit of like, creativity. I remember when I was in college, senior year, I had extra classes. So I had already finished everything for my major. I had two minors. Like I did everything I could so that I didn't have to graduate early and I still had extra classes. So I decided to take photography. And I remember in my house, I think my other roommates were in the same boat. I don't know if that's normal or not, but (laughs) they were taking ceramics together. And then I decided to take photography. Like we all decided to do something creative. And I had to find a film camera. So, Koi, this was reminding me of your story. And so I got my dad's film camera, which was Nikon FG, which I still use today. I remember it like that my dad gave me the camera. My sister says that my dad gave her the camera and then she had to forfeit it to me. (laughs) 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 So she's like, you stole that experience from me. I feel like, oh, like it's such a nice memory that I took my dad's camera. I still use it today. I made all that work in the class with it. And my sister said, that was supposed to be for me. <laughs> so funny. But either way, that was like, I think it was called visual literacy. It was like the 101 photography class where you learned black and white photography. You got to go to the dark room, do everything yourself with the chemicals. I thought it was so cool. Wow. And I can't remember if I talked about this. No, I guess I didn't. But last time when we talked here, I, I did talk about being encouraged by people. And I felt very encouraged by my TA not by the professor. The professor actually came in during one of my presentations and then he left in the middle of my presentation. Yeah, my TA was super, super encouraging. I felt like she really saw me, which is another thing we were talking about last time. Just feeling seen is so important for a young person or any person, whatever. So that ended up being great. And I was like, I think I'm good at this. (laughs) I think I could be good at this. And that was like, right before I graduated college, right? So I still didn't really know what I was going to do, but I knew that there was some option there for me. And we were even like using Photoshop in that class. It was like all encompassing. And then we also did creative projects that had a theme. So I loved that. Like I love putting together like a whole theme. So that was great for me. Yeah, I like no. you felt the calling. So you just have to listen to your heart, right? That voice I guess inside. so. 
of your mind keeps telling you that you need to pursue this, then that's a sign that from the universe that you really, mm-hmm. it's going to be for you. Yeah, I don't think yeah. I thought about it like that, but that's true. <laughs> yeah, cool. so back to what Tiara was saying, we always think about photography as being totally different fields, right? Like art and photography and anything creative, they may appear to be completely different and unrelated fields that do not intermingle. However, I see a different angle. I believe that these realms are colorful threads that weave together to form a vivid web. Like when you look around you, like your chair, your blanket, your table, your desk, everything, there's some sort of artistic and design aspect to it. It's art and creating and photography and documenting all of the the process of making things. part of our everyday lives. As a researcher, I operated a microscope imaging technology in the lab to chronicle hundreds of immunohistochemistry slides containing various Mm. tissues that I prepared, stained, and mounted. These experiments are executed. Yeah, you can't see my face. I was like, am I understanding this correctly? Dr. Cooley, yes, she's Dr. Cooley. I was like, sorry, should I not go into No, No, I was like, wow. Yeah, so I was just, I'm trying to show a different perspective to photography. Yeah, so these experiments, experiments were executed to investigate behaviors, relationships, and peculiarities between different types of cells. The mission of the lab is to study cancer, to establish genetic profile, to discover tumor markers for early detection analysis, and essentially develop chemo-preventative or therapeutic treatments that target these tumor-specific pathways with the main goal, cure cancer. Okay, so what you're saying is, if I could just recap, photography can change the world Literally. That is, that's incredible. Wow. Yeah. So different cells have different behaviors and using imaging technology to document the process, how they behave, how they interact. I'm sure you've seen in Nature Magazine or different like Nature and Science Magazine, there's always these microscope slides that are really beautiful and rainbow and colored, like steam red and blue and different colors. So that's how you observe Mother Nature. This brings up a bigger picture conversation. Just even that example alone of how that's just a completely different side of photography and what it can be used for, how it can be interacted with. And then there's so many other elements of what art is. And I think all of you touched on it a little earlier of just what in your journey, what you were learning your art to be and your relationship with creativity and art. Were there ever points in your journey to use the professor example, where someone just walked in, walked out, and the impression that it left you with is they don't see your art in the same way that you do, whether they meant that or not. I'm curious, has that happened to you in your journey? And not only what did that feel like, but how did you navigate that and not just want to bury your art and keep it closed in a safe place? How do you keep expressing yourself and creating? So my parents actually do not support me with anything creative. Having immigrant parents, like what Andrea said, money is always a factor, a huge element to decision making when it comes to careers and work and things like that. So my parents actually wanted me to become a nurse first, because after your bachelor's degree, 
you have a job immediately waiting for you because you always need nurses and healthcare professionals. So they actually do not want me to even become a doctor, actually, because that's just more school, more money. Photography for me along that journey was a creative outlet. It was something that I did to channel my feelings and emotions in a healthy way. And as I reflect on my journey, I have gratefulness and gratitude for all the blessings, lessons and growth over the years. In continuing my hobby and creative outlet, I was able to create like a small business for my own. My creative career has not only acted as my creative outlet, but it has also supported my education and livelihood immensely, opening doors to fulfilling my dreams. So my parents did not want to pay for my medical school journey. So I took that upon myself to monetize my my creativity and I now support myself. I'm not sure how to put this into words because it's just so much emotion. But it's like a full circle moment where I'm like self-sustaining and my whole education and livelihood. And yeah, I like support myself now through all the hard work and things like that. Thank you for sharing that. You really took what felt like not support by somebody you really cared about and channeled it into really your creativity and ensuring that could not only be your outlet, but livelihood. That's really powerful. Andrea, Tierra, what have you ever experienced what could be perceived as negative feedback? And again, I think it's important to clarify what something makes us feel like in the impression is really what affects our life. We may never know the intention of someone else, but I think as a creative, this is something we're navigating all the time is how the impressions or perceived feedback affects us because that's what we're interacting with. Yeah, I think my journey is similar to Koi's in that first instance of like really not having that full support of your parents. And not that they were like critical, but just, I guess, not embracing and wanting to cultivate it in college, there was a point where I wanted to go into occupational art therapy at one point. Like I wanted to do something artsy. And my dad was like, you're not on my watch. Like I'm not paying for it kind of thing. And so there was like a little beef with me and him for a little, you know, a little while up until maybe junior year, because I just knew like I was forming into something I didn't really want to do. Right. I really didn't have a desire. It was just like, okay, this is the route you go, you get a job, you graduate, just going on this traditional path. And it's understanding too that like, I've learned some people, probably the people closest to you too, are probably not gonna get it until they start seeing results. And that's just like the reality of most things, especially as creatives, because we like want those people to be on board and supporting us and doing that. But it's just they're probably not going to get it until they start actually seeing action. And so for me, it was almost like, okay, I got to prove to myself, one, that this is what I should be doing. And this is where my purpose is leading me. Even if I didn't know it in the moment, I just knew just follow where you're being led in life right now. And so as I started to believe it and really put the work in and the fruit of that started to like manifest and others around me were like, oh, like you're serious. What kept me going is just like having to take myself serious first and really put the work in, put the time and like just educating myself 
and looking into opportunities and, and really taking risks to put myself out there in a way where others could be like, oh, okay, she's serious. And so that for me was like, yeah, that motivating factor to just keep going. And then on the flip side, like to have that support and like my friends, literally, they asked me to uh, photograph their engagement shoot. And so that money they took and bought me my first like DSLR camera. So I've had that support of people not just supporting you, but investing in you and to see, right, like how that feels to be seen and validated. And But you're going to experience both. You got to take both and just somehow, some way push you to not necessarily prove people wrong because then sometimes we can take that energy and just I'm just prove them wrong and I'm gonna do this and then you just out here trying to really live for other people's approval but it was just like nah I'm gonna prove myself right you know what I mean versus thinking this mindset of proving others wrong I'm just gonna prove myself right and go where I am celebrated and flourishing. I relate so much. My mother would always laugh at me. She mocked me. She never saw photography as a career. And for a while, like she just never believed in me. And it wasn't until I brought her a physical check from a brand that I did a project with that she was like, oh, so it's real. And yes, it's real money. Right. So it's just she and I, we were actually estranged right now. But my father, I've recently worked on reconciling with my father actually after not speaking to him for around maybe six years over the past year I realized that the whole pandemic thing life is short so I just worked on reconciling with my father and we had a moment where he told me that he has been quietly supporting my creative work and he actually bought one of the 100 cameras photo books Oh, that you design. Yeah, yeah so that's that's a lot to me. So yes, obviously this process will take a lot of time, patience and understanding. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I feel feelings can change and it's all about sharing your story. And I believe creating is healing and it can bring people together. It even brought my father and I together. So yes, I just feel like this whole photography concept of being a totally different field or like you cannot survive off of it is just not true. It's just around us in our everyday lives. It's everywhere and you just have to look. Yeah, totally. Thanks for sharing that, Corey. Yes, thank you. At the foundation of 100 Cameras is the people. From the youth we teach to the local leaders we work alongside, and to our supporters like you who make this all possible. When we reflect on the impact we have built together, the impact is more than the measurables shown through our student course assessment. It is seeing youth believe firsthand that their voices and perspectives can lead a worldwide conversation and that their creative work can provide meaningful solutions to their surroundings. You can equip youth to process and tell their stories, impacting how they view themselves and their roles in their community. Our impact would not be possible without this passionate and determined community. Join us today at 100cameras.org backslash donate. I think I totally agree 
with both of you. And I think also, Tira, something that you were saying was reminding me there comes a time when the people around us or our family, they might feel like or they had felt a responsibility to guide us to whatever they thought was right, whether that was like monetary success or whatever. And then there comes a time when you have to decide for yourself, okay, this is what I'm going to do to feel happy and content with whatever life I'm leading for myself, because I'm the only one who's living that life, right? And then I don't know if that happens at the same time, but maybe the family or the people around you decide, okay, like my job to guide them is done. And now I can either be happy for them or not, whatever. Right. right. Exactly. And so I totally resonate with that. I think for me right now, I feel yeah, supported by my family, even though I think some people in my family understand what I do and maybe not everyone does. I also think being a freelancer is foreign to some uh, people. And I think that's understandable. We grow up in a society that celebrates a nine to five lifestyle. And it's even hard for me to get out of that even when I don't have to, right? Like I'm sitting at my desk from nine to five. I don't have to. Why am I here? But yeah, oh, so I guess if you want me to answer the question about negative thing, I said the thing about the professor, but I think also at one point I was saying I spent a lot of time with my grandmother, my mom's mom, and I used to draw a lot. I think my creativity has, you know, manifested in different ways. My grandmother encouraged me not to draw as much, which I still feel salty about. I don't remember exactly how she said it, but she's she was also the type of person who like we were having summer break and let's say I was spending a lot of time with my grandmother. Yeah, we would have time to play and go to the swimming pool and stuff like that. But my grandmother would also make me homework. Pack. I didn't have homework from school, but with grandma made me like math packets. I don't know. I'm from Miami. And so in the public library system, we had like summer reading lists that the library would put on. I also yeah. had summer reading lists from school. So I had to do that. And then I like did all the ones from the summer library reading list. So my <laughs> grandmother like really, you know, encouraged me to spend my time on that. But I do remember my feelings being hurt when she was saying that I shouldn't draw. I don't know what she said, but in my head, it was like, wow, you, you think I'm a bad drawer. That's so sad. Um, it's like that. I'm so sorry. Yeah, because- yeah, I guess it is sad. No, it's okay. I'm going to toss out another perspective here. I have a very similar personal experience. And I, I want to caveat this with if you or any of our friends listening, like you and your gut know the difference between like oppressive and harmful and someone acting out of their own fear and concern. So, you know, what I'm about to kind of ask us if we, how to think about it is really from that second that like someone's acting out of fear or concern. So my my own father, I've shared this on an earlier episode in very high level detail, but quick background. I grew up first generation college graduate. My parents worked about four jobs, four sources of income, meaning one of them was in the middle of the night. It was a paper route for most of my life. Tree farming on the side, nine to five during the day. Now that I'm a parent, I'm like, how did you do that on three hours of sleep a night for like so much respect for them? And I think in that they're doing this every day, this grind, because they envision a different experience for me as an adult. So they envision health insurance, they envision stability, They envision grad school, all these things that I basically left my four-year degree. And it was just like, those things don't matter to me. I would rather try out New York City on a one-way ticket. At one time, had five roommates in a three-bedroom. My parents were just like, why would you do that? And then I was like, I'm going to pour some of my extra time to this thing called 100 cameras. And they were like, why'd you do that? And it was just this like tension. And there was definitely some like rifts between especially me and my father who 
I adore him, but he it was really difficult for him. And I was like, I think I'm just going to like try out New York City. And in hindsight, I see fear and I have so much empathy for it. But in the moment, he was just like, you can't do that. And then I finally learned, he was like, if something happens, like we can't afford to get there to help you. I don't know how else to tell your 22-year-old self that and make it sink in. And even when I decided to do this, there was one point like a year and a half into New York City and I turned down a job that had great health care at a nonprofit. So to my dad, he was like, okay, it checks all the boxes. Like you're trying to learn education and development and all those things. And it has health insurance. I was just like, ah, I'm just not that like passionate about the content. I mean, that was... That was it for him. He that was, was it. And we worked through it. And to your point, Tiara, like I had to get to this point where I was like, it is for me. I'm going to see what I can contribute in this world and create in this world for me. Because if I'm doing it in spite of anything or for anyone else, I'll run dry. My energy will be terrible. Like literally like my mantra, my presence will just be such negative, destructive energy and now in hindsight, I have so much empathy for them trying to navigate that as to your point, Andre and Koi, like they're trying to guide you. They think they're helping you. And I'm just curious, like, how do we, how can we navigate that? No, I don't want to say better, put like a weight on it, but just differently. Like, I wish what I could do is go back and my dad just say, I'm so scared for you my daughter. I'm so scared. I thought you were going to go into like broadcast communications or something. And I could look at him and just be like, dad, I think I'll die a slow death inside if I don't try this. Right. But we just didn't have the tools. And even today, I feel like there's conversations that happen around me every day where I'm like, huh, that could have played out so differently if we could have just lowered our walls and said what we were really thinking. I, I think was- that takes a lot of bravery. Yeah, I was reading a book recently and there was a quote by Eddie Murphy that says that the best advice he's ever received is don't take anyone else's advice. So what he's trying to say is that it doesn't mean that you don't seek out other people's opinions and viewpoints. What he's trying to say is that you you are a conductor, you are at the controls. You decide your own destination. You have that power to take ownership of your own happiness. And people can interject all sorts of opinions, like what you were saying, Angela, with your family. But ultimately, they're not living your life. But you don't know your feelings, your emotions. And they're not going to be living inside your own skin. Like it's your own life and you have autonomy over your own happiness and what you want to do. So that's something that I think you can remind yourself regularly that people can say whatever they want to say, but are they really living your life? And you hit it on the nose too, the tools and communication and vulnerability, right? Like, Our parents' generation was, hey, they got a job out of high school or whatever, and they were with that company for 20, 30 years until they retired. That's it, right? To where you have our generation where we've started out on that traditional route, going to school, maybe a a higher up, but now we're starting to, let me figure out what I actually like to do. We be out of a job every two years, we swapping So now you see Gen Z, they're coming out the gate like college. No, I'm a YouTuber. You know what I mean? So there is this turn of like 
people really tapping into what do I, what am I here for? You know what I mean? I'm just going to work to pay bills and just live this like life. We're like moving out of that. So you do see progress in that. And I think it'll be better as we like begin to have children and just other young people in our lives that we can really like, hey, what are your interests? Yeah, that adult in us just wants to control everything and kind of, yeah, as we're guiding, we're not partnering to really talking to our children. That You know, it's okay to try to explore this, explore that. And so I think it definitely starts with just communication. Like you said, hey, your dad just simply said, hey, we're afraid of you taking this route. It would have been a bit easier for you all to process and say, okay, like, what are we afraid of, right? Is that reality or is that just like this figment of our imagination? You know what I mean? What are the chances of these fears actually happening? So I think it definitely has to start with communication. And then, like you said, past that, I think we're getting better tools to process these things, just be more open. It's so true. And as I'm listening to all this, I'm having this realization that taking a step back and thinking about what if this person that I either know or don't know, what if they just have different priorities in their life? And is that okay? I may not understand someone else's journey. They want the nine to five. They want the stability. They find happiness in that or vice versa and almost creating space. That's okay. Like how different my dad and I were. And something so beautiful about that story is I think once I and he, I don't want to speak for him. I'm, you know, Don, you want to come on the podcast? We were forced to open up our grip and let go of our expectation of one another. And it was not long into my journey in New York. I still have this email. I emailed him and I was like, dad, this is just too hard. Like it is too hard. New York City is not Tallahassee. I can't do that. I didn't know anyone when I moved here. I was lonely, but I was surrounded by people everywhere I went. And he wrote me back. And this was like prime opportunity for the dad of before I went to New York to be like, great, come on home. We have everything here for you. And (laughs) he literally said, stay. He was like, give it another full year. He was like, I've realized you will not be happy if you come back here. I'm just having this moment. What if I could do that more for other people I care about? Mm -hmm. You can just create that space for the priority to be different. Yeah, I think that's huge. And I think, Angela, like you being able to reach out and be vulnerable opened that up, right? And I'm glad that you talked a little bit about your parents' sacrifices, because I think that's very important to think of, right? Like, I think my family sacrificed a lot for me. And I, growing up, I always understood that because of that, I had to give it back to them by getting straight A's, by having good behavior, like to the point where it's all about expectations. Like you're saying, like the expectations were up here. <laughs> but it wasn't, I feel like it wasn't until college that I had the realization, okay, that, that switch was starting where the person that had to set the expectations was me and that I had to fulfill those expectations for myself, not for my family. Then I remember an example of, like I was saying, I mostly got A's in school all the time. And that was one class that I took when I thought I was going to be an economics major, again, like trying to do something I didn't really want to do, whatever. <laughs> I took a calculus class and I ended up getting a C plus, which was the worst grade I had ever gotten. I went to the teacher's office, whatever. That was the grade I got, right? So he was like, no, there's nothing I can do for you. I thought he was being mean. That's just what it was. And I cried to him even. And then I called my mom crying and she was like, it's okay. She's like, you tried. It's, that's fine. 
And so I just had these expectations in my head, but that was all me. Right. Yeah. That was all me. I feel, I feel like I'm going to therapy right now, y'all. I've got phone calls to make to people. This is real. It's so fascinating having this conversation with the three of you because you all have done it. We can talk about how we did this and we had to navigate it, but then life got real for each of us. Like there were bills due, there were things, there wasn't this extra backing. And were there moments when you wanted to walk away from your like commitment to creativity as not only your passion, but livelihood? Oh yeah. At least 10 times a day. I'm like, what the freak is I do? Why am I doing this? What? When I made that jump from full-time nine to five into full-time art, I was just like, what am I getting myself into? It's scary. Yeah, you definitely have those moments where it's, I guess I went from talking myself off to quitting 10 times a day. Now it's still two times a day, which is progress. <laughs> and I still have those moments where, yeah, it just seems overwhelming. And I, yeah, if I could go back, I would definitely tell myself, ask for help, ask for more help. And oh, that's power so important yeah Yeah, don't try to do everything yourself because that's what I was trying to figure everything out by myself and I would just tell my young self ask for help and along the way I've learned so much of like budgeting and money management it's along the journey that I think for me as man I'm more impressed of who I've become as a person more than just oh I'm a photographer like I do cool stuff you know what I mean like I'm like Girl, the growth as a person that you've become during this journey, that's it. Like, that's what it's about. It just so happens that for me, art and photography was the thing. But the person I've become in the midst of that has been like, that's been the prize. Because I'm like, yeah, learning stuff that I would have never learned without some of those struggles. I was paying off debt in the midst of not having a nine to five, but like just eager to do these things, which sounds completely insane and if someone were to tell you like oh yeah you're gonna quit your job you're not gonna have consistent income but you'll get out of debt and then you'll be like what that makes no sense but it's just like sometimes that tense and even that anger that you feel in the midst of that can drive you to get stuff done and I think for me yeah I read this uh book with Andre Iguodala and he says anger is a performance enhancer drug and I'm like He has a point there because there's been a lot of things that like my frustration along just with things have really led me to speak up for myself, Mm -hmm. to get over boundary, to do things. Yeah, I think some of those struggles can, if right, with the right people around you and building that can definitely push you, keep pushing you along. It's what are we going to do with each feeling, whether it's anger or fear joy, excitement. What are we channeling that into? That's really what it boils down to. And even like allowing yourself to feel each feeling. Because I feel like for a long time, I didn't allow myself to feel anger. Like you're saying, Tiara, like I love what you said about what anger can do for you. But I still have a hard time like letting myself feel angry about things because I have this mentality that for me, it works like being laid back and zen about stuff. I guess that's my personality, but it doesn't mean that I don't get upset about things. But yeah. I, I don't know at what point did it become that like angry is not part of my life. So yeah, I think about that sometimes. I hear you. Are we allowed to be angry? Yes, we are. And yes. it is right. an important feeling. Yeah, I go back to the 
part of the curriculum of 100 cameras, something called range of feelings, basically where there's a whole few activities built around it. But the essence of it is students learn there's a range. So anywhere from sad to happy, there's I think we give them like it's what is it like 50 adjectives of different feelings and how it's all across the board in range. And then students have to work together with tangible photographs and put them in a range together. And the thing that blows me away, and we've even done this with adults, like this is what the Viacom CBS workshop was last year. The thing that blows me away every time, even with myself when I engage, is the conversation that happens when everyone's looking at the same photograph. And some participants, whether they're adults or kids, will say that photo makes me feel nervous or scared. And then others will look at the exact same photograph and say, I I think that makes me feel pensive or thoughtful. And the conversation that flows from that is so critical and beautiful because it's just this idea that we can all feel differently. We can feel multiple things at one time. It can look different. And it like even going back to all these experiences with our loved ones, it's we were all looking at that life moment of like our news or what we were deciding to do with our life. But the person on the other side was looking at the same life moment and feeling something so different. And I just, I'm like asking myself this, my takeaway is how do I bring that into my more everyday reminders that we're all looking at something differently or maybe similarly, but I don't know, the feelings thing, it's real. Yep. Okay. I say this at the end of every time with all of you, but we could talk for hours. Okay. What would you tell your future self? Five years from now, envisioning, obviously we can't predict the future, but envisioning everything you've learned and how in a good way you've grown, what would you tell your future self or remind them? Wow, I've never heard that question before, actually. (laughs) Future self. It's usually your past self or your child uh, tell. I think I would just say be an ardent student wide-eyed and curious, read books, watch films, listen, learn from others, and remember those who have guided and helped you along the way. And always express your gratitude and give credit where it's due. Be humble, embrace the unknown, trust your journey. Sometimes the world will become quiet and the only sound left is the beat of your heart. Stay true to your vision. So beautiful. I think wow. I'm going to like take that bit of the recording and just put it in my earbuds on right. every night. Yeah. Yes. Before bed. Before bed. He has the sweetest voice too. So oh, I yes. oh. Very dulcet tones. Yeah. Go Tira. Yeah. I, w- I would just say you put the work in. Celebrate. Celebrate, girl. I would just say celebrate yourself putting the work in. Mm-hmm. Definitely put in a lot of work in. Yes. Right yes. Yeah, I, I think mine would be similar. After hearing Koi's, I was like, I think mine would be a post-it as opposed to Koi's letter to herself. <laughs> but I think I would, you know, Angela, you were saying there would have been growth by then, which, which I think is true, but I'm sure that there's also going to be similarities in the future. So I think I would tell myself to take a break and that it's okay not to be in charge of everything. Those are the first two things I thought of. I love that. Know thyself. I feel like with each year, we learn ourselves more and what our tendencies are. I love that. Yeah, I I want to put all of those. I'm going to tell all of those things to my future self as well. Always such a joy to talk with you all. Thank you for your vulnerability, your willingness to just share your insights and what you've learned in your journey, Uh, not only with me, but with fellow friends slash strangers. So thank you all and until soon. Thank you so much for having us.
Thank you so much for being here with us. To see highlights from this conversation and more, visit the 100 Creatives website at www.100cameras.org backslash podcast. Podcast.